TJ, how in the world are you? Hey, what's going on, Bean? How you doing? Dude, I'm wonderful. I'm in a park, walking around barefoot in the grass. Like, no better place to chat with you. Man, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and jump on my podcast. Uh, yeah, for I think everyone is going to be so inspired off of kind of just the way you live, man. You know, I, I just love your outlook on life and... Yeah, I really wanted to have you on the podcast to uh, kind of share, you know, just kind of what you've been through and what you're doing and how you see the world and because uh, I think it's really inspiring. So I appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm thinking I can speak more clearly than when I was telling you my story while we were climbing a mountain. That was in between puffing and puffing. So you got like bits and pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I'd love to you know, that's, that's a funny story is, uh, so, I mean, I basically just do the podcast now, so we're basically already doing it. I just kind of roll with it. Um, but yeah, that's a super funny story with how I just meet new people every day and meet someone like you, you know, people message me all the time on social media, like, Hey man, be interested to get out for a ride with you. I'm down in St. George. And normally people are like, I don't know, but I'm always like, yeah, let's, let's go out and ride. You know, you never know who you're going to ride with. And meet up with you and i'm like wow you're what a story (laughs) thank you and thanks for for answering that i felt like that was a shot in the dark but but for me i mean what i told you like your vibe attracts your tribe and i could tell you love people you love biking you're passionate about what you do i was like this is a cool guy maybe i'll get to chat with them (laughs) i really appreciate it and great friendship i mean you just took me out flying yesterday on your uh on an airplane uh, so that was crazy and that was amazing. That was a first time opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really cool where it just, you know, what was, what, when people were strangers, now a friendship has been born, you know, and created. And so it's fantastic. And, but yeah, man, I, I think it's funny. People are going to be interested there. They heard me call you bean, you know, and, uh, I think maybe you should tell people your name and then explain your nickname that you told me. Cause I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's a whole mess, man. I guess, I mean, there's only one way to tell the story, and it's the whole story. So my full name is Charles Michael Bingaman. And so Bing is like the last four, or the first four letters of my last name, B-I-N-G. I always tell people, especially with the mask on, they're like, what are you saying? And I'm like, it's like Chandler Bing. And they're like, oh, Chandler Bing. I'm like, yeah. But um, Charles, so my first name is actually my dad's first name, great granddad's, great great granddad's. It's a family name. So that's how I inherited Charles. But my parents called me by my middle name my whole life and still do. So they call me Michael. And my sisters call me Michael. My friends that I met early in college called me Mike. And then when I started coaching when I was 20 years old, I got the nickname Bing. And that's because the place that I was coaching, there were a lot of other Michaels already. And in fact, my first job, there were three Michaels on one 20 person team. And so Bing is just like way simpler and different from Michael. And so I went by that for a while, but then all of a sudden I get this new job and I don't get to pick my email. And now my email says Charles Bingham. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I got so many names now. So I have people in the company that think my name's Charles the government and my doctors think it's Charles. My parents call me Michael. Some people it's call mess. me Bing. It is. So now I'm like, I respond to anything. Like, what do you got? 
<laughs> so, and I, it's funny because I thought on Instagram your name is, you know, it's like a human being. And uh, yeah. I, I thought you were just like messing around. And then you're like, yeah, it's Bean, man. You can just call me Bean. I'm like, sweet. Yeah, I'll call you that. And I, I love that because tell people why you like to be called like basically human or why it's human being. Yeah. yeah so that was, I mean, that whole thing. Initially, I wanted to change my Instagram because it said Michael Bingaman. And no one in my current company knows my name is Michael. They think it's Charles. So I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to bring all this down to just Bing and then obviously just as a pun I named it so my Instagram handle is a human Bing and to me like the the reality in that because I am a uh, single dude don't have a family I've been pursuing a lot of different things for the last 30 years and pursuing them at the highest level I can and I talk to people that are like dude your life's insane like I can't believe you do all this stuff and then my joke that I turned it into was just like I'm just a human being like I'm just a person you're just a person and my belief is that if you set your mind to something you can do whatever you want within reason like I can't join the NBA tomorrow right but I could maybe go find a way to work in the NBA so like within reason you can do anything you want Um, it's just making the decision to do it and so for me a human being is like twofold one it's a regrounding and the fact that i'm no different from anyone else and two it's like i'm a whole person and i have emotions and i have difficult days and i've been through some really rough stuff in my life and i'm not anything different from anyone else and i want people to see me as a human holy and complete like holy w-h-o like i'm a whole complete human um just as they are as well and so when i come to work i tell people they're like, oh, I need to leave my emotion outside of work. And I'm like, no, bring your whole self. Like, you're a human. You're not a robot coming into work, you know? So, yeah, I could tell stories forever about that. But that's kind of the those two pieces. That's kind of the, the philosophy behind it. Yeah, that really stuck with me when you told me that on the ride. And I love that. Just, I mean, again, we're all human beings. We're all just doing, we can all, and I always say as well, like, we can do whatever we want in this world as long as, I mean, you talked about as long as you apply effort and time, basically, you can achieve anything you want, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's just I think that's that's a big reason I called this podcast the next stage was it was all about, you know, athletes or me as well, just coming off this, you know, leaving this pro riding, you know, and pursuing something kind of different and just, you know, showing that we're just humans, we could do whatever we want, like we, we can change our paths at any moment we can evolve we can be we can learn basically and i love that how you tell you know explain that and i think it's even more critical for athletes um i need a shout out to a buddy Corey, who does essentially coaching for athletes who are leaving their sport Um, and the idea is like yeah it's like a lot of athletes you spend your whole especially someone like you you spend your whole life building up toward this and then when athletes retire or when they transition they're like what do i do yeah they're like who am i and what do i do and the reality is like you as an athlete is just a chapter and just a piece of who you are but but what i love is recognizing that people like you people like the um, elite athletes that i've worked with people see them as like this um, like there's something special about them and they're to be worshipped and all this stuff. And you're like, actually, it's, they're just a person mm-hmm. and they're a person like you. And like, 
whenever you move on from your career, you're going to still be that same person, even if you're not competing in your sport. Yeah. And people don't like that's tough for people to wrap their heads around, but it's so important for athletes to be able to separate their identity from their sport. It's and Corey results. Camp. It's and dude, yeah. Yeah. That's that. I mean, any, any athlete you'll talk to, it's always funny. You'll just be like, you always kind of have that conversation of that. Like you'll have those dark days and, kind of depressing days where you'll look at you know your identity was based off you know your wake up train simple you know result everything and then you're kind of thrown into the real world and you're like oh wow nobody actually cares in the real world about that you know what I mean like well they do in a sense but like the world keeps going you know just because you left your sport it, it keeps going and you have to then evolve with it and it's just it's interesting as I've talked to so many retired pro athletes, you know, like David Miller or Tyler Hamilton and all these incredible athletes that have achieved many great things in the sport. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing that they've re- been able to recreate themselves through, you know, other things or other art forms almost, you know, and uh, a lot of athletes, you know, have struggled a lot for sure. But it's, it's that, again, I love hearing about people like you or, that can recreate themselves. And I think it's important now we tell people like, kind of go, why don't you tell people what your first job was? I think it's so remarkable. <laughs> so my, my first, I would say real, I guess my first salary job was with uh, us ski and snowboard. So we are the national governing body for all Olympic snow sport. Essentially if you're on skis or snowboard. These athletes train through us ski and snowboard, which is based in park city, Utah. And I was a, uh, an athletic development coach and an athletic development coordinator working specifically with our men's Alpine team. But essentially that meant that anything that could possibly help an athlete be better prepared to compete. That was my responsibility. How, how so, did you get that role? You're 20, you were 20 <laughs> years old, right? I was 25. I just turned 25 when I got that job. And I think the setup, like everyone always says, like, it's not what you know, but who, you know, so they're convinced like you got to know people and get plugged in. But the setup for me is critical because I knew zero people in that industry. I didn't know a single person. And when I applied to get in there, I had zero snow sport experience. I grew up in Texas. Um, people are always like, where did you ski in Texas? And I'm like, you don't ski in Texas. I went to Colorado. And they're like, oh, which I think by now everyone knows that you can't ski in Texas. But common question and I think to me the important the important pieces that set me up for that um man where do you even start I, I think one of the things that made me realize how limitless we are and how capable we are if we want to be is my two years in grad school at Texas A&M um, I was a full-time grad student getting my master's in sport physiology and for most people, that's enough. They're like, I'm just going to be a full-time graduate student. That's plenty of work to do. Um, I was working as a graduate assistant with Texas A&M's baseball team as well. And when I took that on, our head strength and conditioning coach with that team said, Bing, if you are not in class, you will be at the field. And I was like, oh, okay. Thought he was joking. He was not joking. I was at the field, you know, show up at 5 in the morning to set up for weight sessions. I was there from 5 to 11. I'd go to class 11 to two. I'd go back to the fields for practice from two to five, you know, and on the weekends I was 
at the field for games. So it was like I was there full time. Right. And at the same time, after I left around 6 p.m. Uh, after practice, I would go to a gym and coach CrossFit. Oh my I was also God. coaching CrossFit. And I had also started a weightlifting team at my CrossFit gym that I was coaching a few days a week. And I also started a uh, weightlifting team for Texas A&M. So wow. Texas A&M has a weightlifting team now that I and a few others founded and I coached and then passed off. And so I think I told you like I, that team is still running and still doing great things. But if I went back there, they would have no clue who I am. And it's actually pretty hilarious. Like I follow them on Instagram and I'm just like, I don't know any of these people and they don't know me. And similar to talking about moving into new chapters of life, like it doesn't matter. I don't need to go back and be like, Hey, do you know who I am? It's like, that was a cool season of my life, but I've moved on and I'm excited that it still lives on. So my point, I guess, in saying all those things was that I was hustling those two years. And even in the years leading up to, to grad school, um, I got a business degree. So I totally changed career fields. But while I got a business degree, I was coaching um, weightlifting and I was coaching at a CrossFit gym. And that's what made me fall in love with the field of coaching. So like, I put a lot of work in and I put a lot of time in and I pushed a lot of things away that most college students would get into and would want to do. And I was just like hustling five. And I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I look back on the, those years and I was like, man, I was running myself into the ground 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. What, um, but what, what do you think was the cost? Like what? I mean, you said not every college student is going to be doing that or not. Honestly, not a lot of people know how to hustle like that or want to hustle like that. Why, why, what fueled you to do that? Was it just the pure passion of what you were doing? Or, I mean, you were doing so I many different it. things. Yeah, but it all, to me, it all had the baseline of like getting to create things for other people and getting to create um, not just opportunities, but spaces for people to thrive, like creating teams where people can come together as college students and train together and grow and like get coaching and like had this fun environment, I got to create that for someone else. And I just loved it, you know? And every time I thought of an opportunity, I was like, I can totally pull that off. It doesn't exist. I want to make it happen. And I just loved what I was doing. And so to me, it wasn't ever this mindset of like, oh, I need to grind or I need to be doing all this stuff in order to prove myself. I just loved what I was doing. And I ended up filling up my entire schedule every single day with what I love, which is a great thing. <laughs> yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, how old were you at that? Uh, that yeah, grad school, I was 23, 24. To know what you, I mean, are so passionate about. And I mean, at that point, 24, 23, like to know that you're like, that's, to me, that's a pretty selfless and like pretty amazing thing to know. Like, oh, at that young age, you want to become a coach or put people in a position to thrive. I mean, I feel like most people, when they get to that point, it's because they had finished a career and doing, you know, you know, it for themselves. So I think it's just remarkable. Like, twenty three, twenty four, you found your passion and you're like, this is it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that you can change your mind a lot in life, right? Like I talk about chapters of life and for me, six years at USC and snowboard was an awesome chapter. And now I'm 
in a totally different field, but still doing the same thing at a baseline level. But I'm talking to my athletes that I just coached for six years and they're like, Oh, who are you? Like, are you coaching right now or what's going on? And I was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not working in athletics at all right now. I'm not coaching anyone for the first time in 12 years. And, but I'm still coaching people. And so the big takeaway to me is that there doesn't have to be this weight around figuring out what you want to do because just try something. I was in business. Actually, I started out pre-med. I was like, I think I want to be a doctor. I volunteered in an emergency room, did all this stuff. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that. So I got into business school and I got a finance degree. And then I was like, I don't think I like this. And then I started coaching and I was like, Ooh, I like coaching people. And I did that for 12 years. And then now I'm like, I like coaching people, but not in athletics. And so I just like turned the page again and started a new chapter. And we can do that. And I I want people to know that because that removes the weight of decision-making. Like if try something, if you don't like it, try something different. You don't have to commit to something for 50 years. Yeah, that's so true, man. I I, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I love that mentality. I, yeah, now continue with what, so right now uh, you're working as a, as a co-manager, right? As a, uh, I'm the store manager. The store yeah, manager. At, uh, yes, go sir. Ahead. Go ahead. At Lululemon here in St. George. That's, I mean, this is what I love. <laughs> is you, you go from U.S. ski team, now kind of help fill in those blanks. Were you, you know, like what made you want to leave U.S. ski to go then pursue, you know, the store manager at Lululemon? <laughs> yeah, totally yeah, to, to most people, they're like, that is the biggest shift you don't you even, ever do. Yeah, I don't even know how you connect those dots. You know, when you're just yes. looking at it, you're like, U.S. ski team, you're like, Lululemon. And then on paper, it's like, okay, I guess maybe in, like, training. But it's crazy how you connected those dots. <laughs> yeah, and to me, I the great thing that I was telling a friend just the other day is I didn't leave the ski team on a bad note. I love those athletes. I love my coworkers. It was an amazing place to be. And honestly, it was really hard for me to leave. And when I announced, then why? Yeah, right. (laughs) The kicker, I left because I was comfortable. And it wasn't that I had learned, I would like want to stress this, it wasn't that I had learned every single thing in exercise physiology that I could ever learn. There was still stuff to learn. But I had gotten comfortable in the position I was in and I needed to get uncomfortable again and comfort like terrified me, you know, and the idea of being like, yeah, I I can write these programs. I got the coaching athletes, like I'm getting paid enough that I'm happy. It's not a huge amount, but whatever, like I easily could have settled in. And honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with settling in and settling down. But my personality was stressed out about that. And that's wild. I love it. I had, yeah, I kind of reached the highest position I could reach within that company. Unless my high performance director were to leave, then I could have applied for something like that. But like, I moved as far up the ladder as I could. And then I hit the top for my position. And I took on some additional responsibilities. Um, I took on, like, I got to oversee our internship which I started as an intern. So it kind of came full circle, which was fun. Oh my God. Um, and I kind of moved out to oversee all of Men's Alpine, which was a promotion, but I couldn't go anywhere. And so 
I recognized that it wasn't that I was stuck, but I recognized that I was as high as I could go. And if I wanted to learn, um, like those six years were amazing, but I wanted to move into a leadership role. I wanted to have a bigger impact outside of sport. I wanted an opportunity to lead bigger teams and amplify ideas and really just create cultures for people. And I realized I couldn't do it in my current position. And so my question when I'm moving, I could have, from where I was at and the people I was talking to, I could have moved into um, the NBA or I could have moved into Major League Baseball. I could have pivoted into pro sport for way more money, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to sidestep into a coaching position. I wanted to get a leadership position specifically. And I wanted to to stretch me, to get me uncomfortable. And so that led me to Lululemon, right? Lululemon sells amazing clothes, but they also say they want to be the place where leaders come to be developed and to really? grow and to learn. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's super cool. They have, yeah, they have amazing resources for coaching their people. I'm in this long-term coaching program right now where I have a coach that I meet with regularly. She's a store manager up in Canada and we touch base regularly. She coaches me. She helps me get better. I also am learning how to become a coach within a professional setting, like a leadership coach. I'm being trained by the company in that. And then I'm getting opportunities to be mentored. I'm getting opportunities to be challenged and to, to honestly, even just this morning, I'm being stretched as a manager and how I, navigate relationship challenges and issues at work and it's like this is the discomfort that I wanted and so I smile when I get these challenges thrown at me because I'm like this is such a cool opportunity for me to live into this and be like all right can I really lead people can I really create a place that people want to be and Lululemon gives me the sandbox to try that out and so that is what brought me here and to me that's a total like I'm still coaching people. I'm just not using my exercise physiology background. Although I work a lot of athletes come in store and I get to have amazing conversations, informed conversations with them on training. So it like creates a great guest experience in the store. So maybe it is a parallel. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I'm just amazed always with, you know, listening to you. I mean, you can understand why you're a coach, man, you know, just speaking to you, you, you just motivate and uh, hearing. I just love where you, when you said when you applied for the ski team, you applied, you were an intern and like you, you're not afraid to start from the bottom. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, not a lot of people get that, that you always have to start from somewhere. It's not like you just start, Yeah. you know? Uh, and I, I just think it's incredible mindset. The fact that you just don't fear that, you know, taking on a new challenge, you know, and, it, and one thing, you know, it doesn't even sound like you allow money to kind of dictate how you live. Is that? No. Like how? Yeah, that's pretty true. I currently live in like, it's probably a 700, maybe 800 square foot, two room space, not two bedrooms, like one bedroom, one bathroom, a small living area, but it doesn't matter. Like I would rather, and I made this decision when I left a finance degree, all of my peers graduating undergrad with a finance degree at Texas A&M were like, oh, I'm going to work in New York. I'm starting at 100,000. What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm going to go get a master's in sports phys and then probably start at 40,000 somewhere. 
and then do that for 10 years and then maybe get a promote. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I mean, I chose when I was 20, how old was I? 22 to bypass the money to chase something that seemed more fulfilling to me. And I've never had, I, uh, grew up very fortunate within my family. And so I don't want to say that I went through a, a rough upbringing in that regard, but I've never had, especially on my own, I've never had a lot of money where I can just buy whatever I want. Um, but I've seen people who have, and I've seen those people who have a lot of money and aren't happy with where they're at in life and they're miserable. And so I'm like, I would much rather get paid a normal salary to be able to support a normal life, but love what I do. Like that to me is yeah pursuing your passion over yeah just you know working to for i feel like people just now work to retire and it's like yeah. me and you even talk how sad yeah i mean you wake up every day and i'm like man i i feel like i'm retired right now and it's not because i'm not working i plan on working till the day i die like i can paint a painting till the day i die i can ride my bike you know for a long time i can and you know and it's just i think about finding you know, what makes you special, like you kind of said, like you, you loved coaching people and then you start connecting and putting out this energy and this frequency and that helps kind of connect the dots and that helps bring more people who are kind of your your same vibe and helps kind of, you know, you all of a sudden doors are open that, you know, weren't open before when you were chasing after the check, you know, and it's pretty amazing. But it's yeah for, it's for me that just, I mean... It, I think it's just so even more incredible for yourself because you had two jobs, well, and a job offer, basically a job and a job offer to basically of like what people pursue their whole life. You know, there's coaches who pursue their whole career to basically, I feel like, be on the ski and U.S. ski team and, you know, or get offers from the NBA or the Major League Baseball or, and it's, you know, here you're just, you, you know it's it's amazing you know you're you have the courage to step away from something that you know would be a a career kind of thing and just pursue your passion and i think like everyone has the opportunity to make that decision or to me it was as soon as i recognized that i wasn't happy where i was at i was like okay well what do i need to do what do I need to learn or what kind of situation do I need to get myself into to be excited about learning and growth and opportunity? And I wanted to create things that other people could grow in and other people could thrive in. That's what I want. And taking a job in professional sport, doing the same thing that I was doing for the ski team didn't allow for that. And so the money option to me didn't, it wasn't a thing. It like it is really good money in pro sport but I've also talked to coaches that have gotten chewed up and spit out in pro sport because it's exhausting mm -hmm. and they're like yeah the money is great but you might last three years and then you're just going to be miserable and I was like yeah it doesn't sound great yeah. um so I don't know it I I also want to recognize that things are very different if you have a family I have no one that I'm responsible for except myself I don't have a spouse. I don't have kids. I don't have anyone that I have to worry about. And that allows me to be able to take sometimes stupid risk um, because I'm the only one paying for it. And I will admit that if I had a family, I would think and act a little bit differently, at least a little more responsibly and not take such a big risk. But it's all on me. And I'm the one who 
pays for it if I make a dumb decision. So that that kind of freedom is unique to my situation and do want to recognize that. Yeah, but I mean, what you're saying, I don't think is dumb decisions. You know, there's dumb decisions like that can actually hurt people. But like switching careers, I think when it really does come down to it and, you know, someone, you know, just with I can't speak for others or whatever, but I just know from, you know, my wife and myself and like, I'm not a, you know, she helps me pursue my dreams and I help her pursue her dreams of being a yoga teacher. And we both realized like, and I've kind of told her like the money's not ever going to be there at the beginning. Like, you know, when you're pursuing your passion and your love, you have to just understand that there's, there's going to be fires you have to push through. You're going to have to like, there's going to be egos that will have to be killed, you know, like in your own self to kind of realize like, Oh man, I can't, you know, I have to, you, sometimes you have to do, I honestly, I, I think you do have to take that risk of like not having that security of that check because when you don't have that, that writ, when you're taking that risk, it pushes you to, I mean, just some limits that you didn't even know you could do. You know what I mean? And at least for myself, when I, I whenever I'm asked to do a painting or a mural and a lot of times you're like, Oh man, you, I've never done a 40 foot mural. And it's not like I'm going to say that to the people hiring me or it's not, you know, you're just going to accept the challenge and the opportunity and you're going to rise to it. And that's, that's the kind of, I, I like how you kind of view that. And I, I don't think those are dumb decisions because I think those, I find out, you know, like you can always, you can always go back and get a normal job. I feel like, you know, if something were to be, if, you know, shit were to hit the fan and you, you had to go like just, work a normal job then I would have to just go work a normal job and pay but I also realized and I've seen just from trusting myself and I've seen from others from people like you and other friends that I have that have fallen their dream follow, followed their dreams they're able to do incredible things and it's funny because it's not from the get-go though it's it's after they push through the the kind of hardship where most people kind of stop and quit yeah and to me, what gets you through that is just a ridiculous belief in what you are capable of. Like, you got to believe in, you do have to believe in yourself a lot. And there are times that I've doubted myself. But to me, the pay gap exists whenever you step into a role and you know what you're capable of and other people don't know that yet. And so the opportunity for me is like, I'm going to step into this role and I'm going to show you all what I'm capable of. And then eventually the pay is going to match that if I really live into that and if I really show that to its fullest, then people will be like, wow, this is a valuable person within this specific area and we want to keep them. So now we're going to pay them what they're worth. And that's like the challenge that I see for myself. It's like, I know what I can do and I'm confident in what I can do now and 10 years in the future. And I'm just going to keep chasing that. And then I know that it's going to balance out in the future. And I'm not worried about, the pay or anything, especially now, like I make enough to do what I want to do and to have fun, pay my bills and have a little bit of fun on the side. So I have nothing to complain. Well, about. and you can only live for today, you know, Yeah. You, people sit there and plan and plan and plan and, you know, will accept jobs just because it has a good retirement plan. And it's like, what you're planning for 60 years or 50 years or 40 years down the road to then start living your life. Like, you know, like, I, yeah. I feel like if more people were to truly follow their passion, you know, because not everyone's passion is going to be the same. And it just shows like, you know, it, it, it just creates more 
more creativity, you know, and I think uh, brings a great balance into the world. And so much better through, I would rather chase something I'm excited about and fail than stay comfortable and succeed. Like, and then obviously in the middle there, there's chase something you're excited about and succeed, which is what most people end up giving a you know, getting a chance to taste, but I would still rather have said, I at least tried this out and it didn't work than to be like, well, I just stuck in this job I was comfortable with my whole life. I wasn't very happy, but I made money. Like, that's not exciting to me, you know? Yeah, but and you're, so... you also are, uh, I mean, I think everyone also has to know that you're also like a pilot, you know, you're, and when I say like pilot, <laughs> you're not just, you were doing like tricks and competitions. And so your mindset is, so and the confidence you have is just so crazy different i also believe and compared to anyone else i think that's fair i will i mean i spent a lot of time learning how to do that stuff and there were times i don't know if if i was ever scared um, when i was flying because if you're scared that means you're not not prepared for what you're about to do um but that took a lot of learning and the only confidence that i had was that i could learn the skill and I honestly, the biggest draw to getting my pilot's license or my certificate as a private pilot, the biggest draw was that I wanted to be a student again, mm-hmm. because I coach people all the time and people, no one coaches me, at least not until recently when I came on board and got a coach through Lululemon. But I'm telling people things all the time, but I was like, I want to go into a situation where I have no clue what I'm doing and I need someone to teach me. Mm-hmm. And for me, flying flying tapped into that tapped into the sense of exploration and the adrenaline but flying put me in this seat where i get in the plane and my instructor on day one is like all right you're gonna land the plane and i'm like what like i don't know what i'm doing how how do you land the plane what is going on and i was freaked out and i loved it like i loved that discomfort yeah man being up there with you it it I was a lot more nervous when i was looking at the plane because the plane looked like this it looked like this (laughs) like 1970s it looked like the plane from like the movie blow with johnny depp and like just like kind of a sketch plane it looked like and I'm- it's because it is from the 70s maybe even the 60s probably the 70s with the front with the propeller in the front but also you know and like the windows like super exposed and you're like oh i was thinking wow i'm gonna be feeling like i'm out there and i was kind of getting sick to my stomach at the beginning and a little nervous but i was like being around you because you exude so much confidence, I'm like, all right, yeah, I mean, I got it. This guy, he, he trusts it. He's good. And, I mean, then you get up there, and for me, it was so, I mean, peaceful, calm. Like, it wasn't scary at all, you know. And, uh, I mean, obviously, we had calm winds and stuff, and it was, like, only one time. But, like, just being up there, I, I – I could get, I understand why you could get that. I, I afterwards, I was, a lot of people were like, Oh, are you going to get your pilot's license? I was like, Man, you definitely have. Thinking about it. Because I also love that, when, you know, when I was up there or when I was in that plane with you, just how you mentioned, when you're so stupid with something that you can't even, you just have to listen, you know? And I got in the plane with you and it was like, I was so quiet because I just, was soaking everything in and it was so much information and information you've never learned so it was just it was actually like in, actually kind of intoxicating for your mind honestly because you're just like wow yeah 
this is incredible. And I seriously think that's true. Like I, I am not one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world, but I was working at a high level with high level athletes and you yourself are a high level athlete. And once you reach something like that level of your craft, it's humbling to step into something else where you know nothing. That's that's exactly like I, I was. I stepped into the mountain bike and yeah, yeah. I like I told you when I first jumped on when I you know you're racing and you're racing for BMC and all these teams and you're doing all this and you're like okay I I I can ride really fast uphill I can ride really fast but then I can't well, as soon as it comes to popping a wheelie I can't even get the front wheel off the ground <laughs> so. Then all of a sudden last year when, you know, we signed with Santa Cruz, it was like, well, I'm about to sign for this iconic brand. Like, I need to up my game, you know, like I need to up my level. Like what used to be good enough isn't good enough anymore. And it also just says yourself, like I was just intrigued with starting over, you know, and relearning. And, you know, I just I think it's funny the more I, you know, do it every night, I'll try to do like a little skills practice or whatever with my mountain bike. And then apply that when I'm out mountain biking and it's incredible the the difference with daily task and, you know, practice and, you know, it just makes to what you can achieve. Yeah. And that's such a athlete's perspective right there that needs to be carried into the real world is that nothing that we want requires us to do a whole lot in a given day. It's just like, mm-hmm. can you repeat this task? a little bit each day for a long time. Are you willing to invest that time in? Because it will add up. You can't build elite level base fitness in a few weeks or even a couple years. Like, are you willing to put this time in for a long time? And a lot of our, you know, especially with electronics, with social media, you want stuff now. And so people just don't have the patience for it. And so that's why to me, we had a great conversation about that with, an athlete I'm like coaching and I told you yeah. how you know skipping days and missing days or not doing the full workout and then we'll message later like hey let's add on a bunch can we make this week uh even more because I missed last week and you're like you can't just you, it's not how that you works skip, you missed that it, that that was those were time missed those were days missed that's you, yeah. you have, those are building blocks to help build this house and this plat- platform you know and uh yeah but yeah two hour rides five days a week is not the same as one 10 hour ride on a saturday yeah you're you're just gonna it doesn't apply the same way to the muscles the body everything uh uh, and you'll just run yourself into the ground like you're actually just gonna get worse from that because you're gonna get hurt you're gonna blow up like it's not helpful yeah exactly exactly and it's just that daily daily task i mean learning something it can be so simple to just you know, every day practicing it. But anyways, so dude, one thing I'm interested in is what, how do you kind of apply yourself? You feel like the best with you know, your employees now and you're like, what's kind of, I don't know, something that you're, you see yourself doing with them every day that helps them. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few different pieces. One of the things that I got to do a lot of with the ski team. We're just mentoring. But what I'm learning is that like mentoring is you giving people ideas about how they can handle situations, how they can live life, how they can work through things. Um, But there's a difference in mentoring and coaching and coaching 
is the recognition that you, TJ, have the answer within yourself. And it's my job to bring that answer out of you. It's not my job to tell you what to do. And, and it's coming from the space of like, I don't know what the right answer is for you. So I want you to discover the right answer for yourself. And that has been a big learning actually that I got coming here to Lululemon because I realized I thought that I liked coaching people, but I actually like mentoring people. And so now I'm learning how to be a better coach and how to not put my ideas into people's heads. I want people to have their own ideas about what is right and what they should do and how they should handle situations. So how do you do and that? Those that's, are the- that's, that's incredible right there. Not putting your, <laughs> talking to someone and having the ability not to put your own ideas into someone else's. How do, how do you give us an example? I'm super interested. That all comes from questions. It's not about me telling you um, what to do. So TJ, if you're like, Hey, I think I'm going to leave or I, I think I'm ready to retire. Like, what do you think I should do next? And mentoring would be like, Oh, I think you should start looking into this and I would recommend this. But what I should say as a coach is like, what is important to you now? And then you're like, when, well, you know, my family and this thing and, and this and this. And then what I ask like career wise, is I'm like, what do you want to learn next? Like what intrigues you? And then I just keep questioning and then you're going to walk yourself to your own answer because you, I, I don't know what you want to do after you retire someday. Like, I don't know what your dreams are. So who am I to tell you what to do with your life? It's my job to help you get to that yourself. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, <laughs> I think every, I mean, that's, so wise i think oh, every i mean i think everyone needs to hear that i, I definitely i well, definitely need to hear that so because i i feel like i struggle with that applying my ideas to others so that's a- yeah because we as humans want to tell other people want to solve problems and we want to tell people what they should do but that's not always the best and so part of it's like identifying the situation sometimes you don't know what the answer is. If you come in and you're like, hey, Bing, like what? You know, I'm looking for some shorts for this. Or I want to buy this shirt at Lulu. Like what, what do you think I should get? I'm not going to be like, well, what do you think you should get? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like you don't know that yeah. answer. And so that's, that's when consulting or mentoring, I mean, that's a simplified example, yeah. but that's a time when I can give you those answers. But if we're talking about other things, about career changes or how to emotional. handle a situation in life, yeah, emotional stuff like that, like that's when I need to stay out of it and I need to help you figure it out and what's best for you. But it's a tough thing. Like people don't naturally move that direction. People naturally want to tell you their ideas and tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's awesome. And you learned that from your Lululemon coaching? Yeah, Gosh. honestly, yes. That's the, which is sweet yeah it's just to have that resource i mean and just and so you said that you're in touch with your coach how often are you in co- touch with your coach well i can reach out to her anytime right now we have bi-weekly phone calls so every other week we hop on a zoom yeah. call and like talk through things what, yeah what's that and, look like like when you what's the zoom call with them look like well you know what's awesome is that because she's a coach she says, I want you to bring the content to the discussion. Like there is no agenda. There is no like, oh, fill these things mm-hmm. out and then come ready to talk about this. I, and so it's totally on me. I need to bring the agenda 
And so if I want to come in and say, hey, I like this is what we talked about last time. There's this book that talks about as a manager or as a leader, it's your job to care about people personally. So it's your job to care personally, but to challenge directly. So if you're one of my educators if I'm, or even just a friend, I want to care about you. But at the same time, I want to push you to be even even mm-hmm. more or push you to a higher standard. And I love caring for people personally. I'm really good at that, I think. And my team has given me that feedback. But sometimes I'm a little bit too nice and I need to learn how to challenge people and hold the bar for them higher. Um, and sometimes I struggle with that. And so that's what I that's what I went into the call with. It's like, Hey, I'm good at challenging. I'm good at caring personally, but I really need work and challenging directly. And then a coaching question from her could be like, what is holding you back from challenging people? And then I just start rambling be like, Oh, well this and this and this. And then she just keep asking me questions. And then we arrive at an answer. Dang. That sounds, yeah. Super incredible. Super insightful. Yeah. That's a, I, I have always, I, when I when I was racing heavily, I would always use a uh, a sports psychologist, and I would go see him like once a month. And honestly, that was the best investment I ever like made. I never regret that to this day because you still use just everything we talked about during those sessions. And it's exactly what you said. Like you never had like things you had to bring in, or it would just be sessions, and you'd just be like you just start talking, you know, and you'd be talking and then it would lead to somewhere just like that, you know? Yeah. And for any, I'll just say as a disclaimer, having worked in the high performance world, if there are any athletes that are listening and you haven't tapped into, um, you haven't tapped into the sports psychology world, you haven't tapped into, we would call it like mental strength coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, like you haven't tapped into that. That's such an undervalued resource right now. I think the perspectives are changing in the last five to 10 years, but it's so powerful and people see it similar to mental illness. People see it as like, oh, we don't talk about it or we yeah. don't do it. It's like, this is a, especially in elites in not just elite sport, but in endurance sport, if your head's not in the right place and if you're not like set up to succeed whenever you're suffering in a race, like you're going to struggle. And even if you are in a good space, there's still more to be unlocked by working with an expert in that area. And it's just so worth it. Like so worth yeah, it. Yeah. You're never yeah, exactly. Like you just said, there's more doors to be unlocked. You know, once you unlock one more, yeah. one door, it leads to another. That's how I feel with meditation. You know, it, you do, it's not like, all right, I've, you know, I've done 10 days of it. I feel good. Like I'm going to stop now. You know, it's like, yeah. no, like you realize this is doing something. So you continue to do it every day. And the same thing with, like you said, I think it, it's crazy. I was really suffering mentally. And uh, I, I had a, my brother's friend was like, yo, you should go see this, uh, sp- you know, sports psychologist. And I was like, all right. And uh, I mean, that first session, it just changed my whole perspective on what I was doing. And, had, you know, you'd make so many emotional decisions when you weren't under a sports coach. You know, I, it's so funny how we'll spend so much money on the physical coaches you know that but we won't even talk about our emotional side or you know and it's crazy like athletes are viewed to be these these you know oh hard strong you know competitors exactly honestly they're the most vulnerable i feel like a lot of times they're the most vulnerable and broken down you know when you're breaking your body like down like that daily 
I mean, for example, just like guys who are winning at the U.S. Cup in mountain bike right now, you know, those guys are like training five hours to six hours every day. You know, this winter, it was like crazy hours and the amount of intervals they're applying in it. And it's like their bodies are torched. And people don't think about that like, oh, yeah, that also applies to their mind. I mean, sometimes you just feel like at the top of the world and then some days you go out and, you know, you just be crushed. And having someone you could talk to and be open with and be like, hey, man, I'm really not feeling it today. Because I was I was something I struggled with a lot was just kind of I, I always felt like I had to put on a happy face of, no, I'm good. I could do more. Let's do more. Yeah. And what we talked about last week, the nature of competition is so difficult in that athletes are putting everything they can into sport. And so if you put everything you can into that energy, energy wise, mentally and physically and emotionally, and you don't win, there's only one person who wins mm-hmm. the race. Right. And everyone else that doesn't a loser. win, you lose. They, right. And they get told this thing where like you put everything you have into this and it wasn't good enough. Like that is something that only elite athletes have to wrestle. I don't want to say only, but that's something that specifically elite athletes have to wrestle with every single mm-hmm. time. And that puts you in such a vulnerable space. Like that's such a difficult reality to face and to work on the biggest. And even if you are winning, like there is only one yep. winner. You have to keep then, it up. What if you put everything you can into it and you do win, then you're like, well, now Well, what? and also the fear of you know? then losing because then you yeah. are viewed as like a champion who's now a loser. That was kind of, I felt like yeah. the thing that sucked the most was all of a sudden a week before one race, you'd be you on top of the world, won this, this, this. You go to this next race and maybe let's say you got dropped, you know, every day. And you didn't have the same results. Well, you were always judged. You know, like everyone says, you're only as good as your last result. And it's like in cycling, that comes, you know, weekly, if not sometimes different day. You know what I mean? Well, you could like at the Tour de France or any of those stage races, you could win the first day and then or be up there or be competitive. And then like it just could be off and on, you know, and you go through these different ups, highs and lows. And yeah, I think just. I, I didn't talk about it enough when I was younger and I would just build this pressure on myself and I would always build pressure, the feeling that like my family, everyone was like, it was way too big. And now that I have a child and a family, I'm like, my goodness, like you, I could have never disappointed in like anyone, honestly. Like I was always doing my best. Yeah. Like I look back now and I'm just like, man, the amount of pressure I was applying to myself. And that was again, just from not, you know, again, just working on my mental hard enough. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't, you know, balancing my life out with anything else. And I, that's why I loved, you know, meeting you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad we got to balance each other yeah, out man. a bit. You opened up the yeah. door for me to go enjoy, you know, flying and all these other cool opportunities. It was crazy when you messaged me to go do that. I'm like, what? You're a pilot too? Like you're you're and you're you're wanting me to take a take me up in the air and at first I was just like I don't know about this and I don't know are you sure honestly I I was I was like I don't know about this maybe I can come up with an excuse to like not do this (laughs) or I could just be like you know man it's not my vibe but honestly that from that ride when we rode together your confidence it it was so infectious that it it just you wears off on others and you realize, okay, you know what? Yeah, I, I should do this. Like, why not? Like we only do live 
right now, you know? And so let's go try something. Yeah. So. And the nice thing with pilots is, you know, that I don't want to die. So I'm doing everything I can to keep us safe. Oh, that's so. You're like, yeah, I, I realize that. I mean, you're, you're looking over the airplane, <laughs> analyzing everything, checking everything. And that's the, you know, I had that thought. I was just like, man, nobody wants to die here. We're, we're going to be good. Like, and, uh, and honestly, yeah. like, I've always figured too, like, if you go down in a plane crash, there's, I mean. But you're flying yeah, a small plane? Like, yeah, like, well, cool. well, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that's just, that's how it is. Like, there's nothing, you're not getting out of that situation. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just have to accept that, oh, if I'm going into this plane, I'm accepting that risk. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And that's just like, kind of, you know, but anyways, being, I could talk to you all day, man. We'll get out for another ride here soon. Uh it sounds like you're having a great day in the park, but uh, do you have any kind of final thoughts or words you might like to, like ins- inspiration you'd like to share with anyone? I mean, people went through a lot of, you know, craziness last year with COVID. Like maybe you have some good coaching advice or uh, you could give or mentor, I guess. I don't know, coaching. Yeah, <laughs> either way. Yeah. I think what I would leave you with is one of my favorite quotes this is from a retired weightlifter that i used to follow all the time Um, but the line is simple it just says love your life or change it and that to me is a reminder of uh of like a growth mindset and of the fact that if you're unhappy with something it's in your power and it's your responsibility to do something about it and there are situations that we can get put into that are unfair and I want to call that out and recognize it and things we're not in control of, but we, we do have some control and there are adjustments we can make. So like if you are unhappy with any portion of your life, if it's a bigger thing or even something like, Oh, I want to be healthier or I want to move here. It's like, it's on you. So change it and like take steps to do it and don't just sit in that. That's like my That's big phenomenal, challenge. man. That's the alchemist mentality right there. We, we are the alchemist. Yeah. Um, Dang, dude, that's this has been so great. Is how can people reach out to you or follow you or honestly, what if I mean a lot of people, a lot young cyclists listen to the podcast. I mean, is there even an opportunity you'd life coach people like, you know, mentally coach at young athletes or other athletes that hear you or is that not a time? I have done that. I have passed some of those. I know a lot of people who coach athletes and I've worked with a lot of athletes myself. And I'd say just reach out. It never mm-hmm. hurts to ask. Maybe my load will have lightened a little bit and I can take on athletes or at the least I can send those athletes to some different people that Man. I trust a lot. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people will be – I hope a lot of people will be really inspired by what you had to say. I think they will because, I mean, you inspire me. I think which, which how you see your life is awesome. And I appreciate you, man. I, and thanks again for joining us, dude. Dude, TJ, thank you so much for the time. You inspire me, and that's what's fun. We're in such, like, parallel paths but different areas that we can mutually inspire each other. Like, yeah, that's it's, what I'm here it's for. been cool, man. It's like, I, like we said, when, when you're putting off good energy and you're doing your thing, you start attracting people that are doing that same thing, and you just start building off that, you know? You're like, dang, that was a great ride. I'm motivated off of hanging out with Bing. I'm going <laughs> to apply, you know, this to my life or, you know. So I think I really appreciate it, man. So... I hope you have a great day, man. Enjoy the rest of the time at the park. And uh, yeah, best wishes, dude. 
Hey everyone, welcome back for another week and another episode of The Next Stage. I hope everyone is having an incredible time. Life is treating you well. You are doing well, you're spreading love, you're spreading good vibes. Because this episode is all about good vibes and fulfilling your destiny and doing what you love to do and starting to do it. I had my good friend uh, Bean on here and he's an incredible man, incredible friend. Uh, He took me up flying in his airplane the other day and I was like, dude, I got to get you on the podcast to inspire some people. So I hope everyone enjoys this podcast, enjoys this episode, and is a little bit inspired by it, because I definitely am. Enjoy. Enjoy.